Hello and a big warm welcome to you and welcome to the Aware Parenting Podcast. My name is Marion Rose, PhD, and I'm so delighted to have back on the podcast Carly Facius. Hello, Carly. Hi, Marion. We always laugh beforehand because me and names, I always need to practice pronouncing it accurately. So welcome back, Carly. I always love our conversations. I've been really, really looking forward to this one. So thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be back. Great. So this time we're talking all about the wonders of breast milk and breastfeeding. And before we dive into that, I want to just share a little bit more about you, Carly, so that people who perhaps haven't listened to those other episodes can, and actually I might pop in later and write the numbers down. So if they want to come back and listen to the other ones, they'll add the numbers in at the end. So you are a registered midwife, an international board certified lactation consultant, and you hold a master of primary maternity care and you're an aware parenting instructor. Yay. Yay. (laughs) So we really wanted to start off this episode, of course, as always, with so much love and compassion to everybody and anybody who's listening to this episode including anybody who's had struggles with breastfeeding. Perhaps you might have started breastfeeding and given up, or perhaps you weren't able to right at the beginning or whatever your journey has been with breastfeeding. We just want to send you so much love and compassion and to know always what we're sharing here is with zero judgment, with zero shoulds, and really with just so much compassion for everybody listening and whatever your journey is with breastfeeding or not breastfeeding so that's really important to have as the caveat right at the beginning yeah absolutely and I also wanted to add that it's not something that's given as much attention or talked about trauma or stress that people experience in their breastfeeding journey so trauma in birth and even in pregnancy has gotten increasing attention which is good and necessary however for a lot of women there is trauma that's experienced throughout the breastfeeding journey and there might not be a lot of language around that or a lot of space for that so I just wanted to say that we see you and we acknowledge that it can be really difficult and really painful for many people when their breastfeeding journey doesn't go the way that they want to And just earlier in preparing for this, I was looking at the um, breastfeeding rates in Australia, which some people might be familiar with, but 96% of women will initiate breastfeeding. So we start off with nearly all Australian women initiating and starting breastfeeding. And then this drops quite dramatically to 39% uh, at three months of age and then continues to fall to 15% at six months of age. And we know that the global health recommendations recommend breastfeeding until the child's two years of age. And in Australia, we only have 5% of women who make it to that time frame. So celebrating you if that is you and acknowledging that the people that wanted that to be them and didn't get there. I think what we know is for most women, they might stop breastfeeding when they weren't ready to or they didn't particularly want to. And I think that's something that we would like to really acknowledge and send lots of love and compassion because 
for many people they did want to breastfeed longer than they they were able to and often there's a lot of reasons that are contributing to that there's a huge issue with lack of support many women that I work with experience a lack of support whether that's within their family unit within their community social pressure returning to work not having support returning to work not feeling supported by their partner or their friends or their immediate social group so I think that can be really hard for people when they've really wanted to continue breastfeeding and we know that feeding a baby is a huge amount of work however you choose to feed a baby every way you feed a baby is a huge amount of work so I think just really acknowledging all of that I would just really like to acknowledge for anyone who has stopped breastfeeding before they actually wanted to just so much love and compassion because I think it's really important to acknowledge that the, the grief and the loss and the sadness in relation to that and again I think that's also something else that really isn't honored in our culture that it's really normal and natural to have a lot of big feelings and so many mothers don't get supported to get to really share those feelings and receive empathy and get to cry and get to perhaps rage about what they've experienced in their breastfeeding journey so again I think we both would really love to send so much compassion to you if you did stop earlier than you really wanted to and perhaps if you didn't really get much support and listening to all the feelings that you felt in whatever however that journey was for you and what I want to remind you is even if it was last year or five years ago or even 10 years ago it's never too late to actually to get to express those feelings to a listening partner or an empathy buddy or an aware parenting instructor to really actually mourn I think it's so important to get these opportunities to mourn and of course alongside that to really know that for our babies as well it's a loss for both mother and baby if the breastfeeding relationship uh, gets stopped shorter than than both want it to and so of course the baby will have feelings too and of course you know, we're parenting they're all about really honoring a baby's feelings and listening to their feelings as well so I just really want to acknowledge that that the grief and the loss that is so normal and natural and so important to have that really honored and witnessed and expressed yeah thanks for saying that Marion that's so beautiful and I do feel like there isn't that much space for those feelings. And for many women, there's so much that comes up around ending the breastfeeding journey, whether they choose to or not, whether they they, they chose that. And obviously there's a huge shift in hormones that people experience when they stop breastfeeding and all of the feelings around the shifting nature of the relationship with the baby whether they were ready to stop breastfeeding. So I think it's so important to give lots of space and lots of love and lots of compassion to all of that, all of those feelings that are coming up around that. It's a huge, huge, huge shift in the relationship. It's absolutely massive. And that can be even if you go full term with breastfeeding and and however many years you breastfeed, it's always a a really significant time, isn't it? That shift. And and that can be for all different kinds of reasons. It can be the mum wants to and the baby isn't quite ready to or perhaps has a control pattern with breastfeeding, which we will touch on at the end, I think, here. 
or it may be the baby stops feeding or maybe there's illness or maybe the mother needs to take medication and needs to stop earlier. There are all kinds of different reasons why that stops. But I'm really enjoying seeing over more recent years so much more understanding of really putting in place ritual spaces and really, again, honouring this is in a really significant rite of passage in so many ways, emotionally, physiologically, and to really honour that for both mother and baby and the wider family, especially their siblings or partner, that it's important for everyone. So just really yeah, wanted to include that as well. Yeah. And it makes me think of when my first child stopped breastfeeding and he chose that on his own. And I was about 20 weeks pregnant with my second child and he, Loka was two and a half and he just stopped breastfeeding. And it was devastating for me because I had always imagined that I would tandem feed and that was the image that I had in my head and there was no part of me that wanted to stop breastfeeding and he chose that on his own and there were a lot of feelings around grief and loss and the lack of control that I had over the situation that he's a human being making his own choices and that I can't force him to continue breastfeeding so it was really like trusting him and trusting that process and trusting that this was the natural way for our breastfeeding relationship to end so I think it can it can look many different ways for many different people it can be the grief and loss that the at three months there was something that happened that meant breastfeeding needed to stop or at six months there was a surgery that needed to happen or medication or things that were going to impact the breastfeeding relationship. So, yeah, there's lots of different ways that things can unfold and lots of feelings around it. And I think it's always so heightened because there's, like you said, it's that emotional relationship, it's the physical relationship. There's all these amazing hormones flying around and then often there's reasons that are beyond our control that are making things change for us so it's that like letting go and surrendering Um, I was going to mention that why we see so many women stop breastfeeding before they want to and the most common reason for people either stopping breastfeeding completely or introducing formula or even solids earlier than recommended is around perceiving that they don't have enough milk. So that's the most commonly reported reason is women feeling like there isn't enough milk to sustain their baby. And if that's you, sending lots of love to that because obviously It's such a huge thing to be concerned about your baby getting enough food. Obviously, all of us want our babies to be well-fed and happy and growing and thriving. So it can be really worrying and really concerning when you're feeling like your baby isn't getting enough milk. However, we know that it's only really about 5% of women that actually experience what's called true physiological lack of milk supply. So it's a very small amount of people that do have 
insufficient milk supply and that's due to a medical condition or different things that have come up so it's quite uncommon for women to experience a lack of milk I think this is where where parenting really helps breastfeeding and maybe 15-20 years ago my, my daughter's going to be 22 so you know when she was a baby and a toddler and when my son was born was this idea that aware parenting is kind of anti-breastfeeding and I've really found it to be the exact opposite in in 22 years is that actually it so often supports mothers and babies to have a more present more enjoyable longer term breastfeeding relationship and I think this is one of the things that I've seen so often is that people come and I know you're going to talk about this lots that people come and they they think that their baby isn't getting enough milk because their baby's unsettled or is crying or maybe he's crying after straight after feeding or is waking up a lot at night and so they think oh I'm, I'm not getting enough milk and they might be being told this by various people as well and when I give them the information to really understand these two types of feelings and that babies, of course, they show agitation and discomfort and crying when they're hungry, but they also cry. Gosh, the birdies have got really noisy. There's three little baby birdies right here and they come straight in and they're going, (laughs) but they're not hungry. Very interesting because the little welcome swallows that live in my house they have big white beaks when they're babies and they call really loudly and it's really clear. I'm hungry. And the, the parents have got this great, like big white marking of the beaks to know where to bring the food. So anyway, it's very relevant. Back to human babies. <laughs> when parents understand, and particularly usually mothers, that babies also cry to heal from birth trauma and to just really stress of the day and actually so often that that is actually what's causing them to be crying perhaps before during and after feeds and actually when they start to implement crying in arms and starting to differentiate between uh, hunger and actually what I call healing feelings is that they actually realize ah my baby isn't hungry they get to understand and be able to read their baby's cues and that supports them to then continue breastfeeding for much longer and to not then need to bring in either formula or solids it's funny that we call it solids isn't it i always think it's such a funny word so yeah yeah so in my experience weaponing is so supportive of actually really supporting that breastfeeding relationship to really continue when we understand ah this is why babies are showing these kinds of behaviors it's actually not because they're getting insufficient milk it's because yeah. they've got healing feelings that they're trying to tell us and of course the topic being trust and i love you talked about trusting your son it's like us culturally learning to really trust that babies are so wise and they are trying to communicate to us I've got some healing feelings I'm trying to heal from my birth experience or from the busy day that we had today and we don't get taught in this culture how to understand and read babies cues accurately so yeah big journey we've definitely come quite far when it comes to feeding our babies because Many people will remember and some people are still getting advised to do scheduled feedings. And so this is very much not a baby-led way of feeding and it's trying to implement routines when obviously babies don't operate on a schedule. It's also under the guise that a baby's going to take in the same amount of milk every single feeding, which obviously is not what human beings do. And so 
we've definitely moved to a place that's much more in tune with what the baby's trying to tell us and looking at hunger cues and signals and signs and things like that, which is wonderful. However, I feel like aware parenting is an invitation to take that a bit deeper and to really get to know your baby. And most parents, in my experience, if a baby's crying, the immediate thought is they're hungry. And it may be true. Often, baby, you know, babies have very tiny stomachs and they need to eat frequently. And like I said, they don't eat the same amount of food every time. So they might need to eat in a short space of time. However, my experience with aware parenting and feeding has been that it helps people to become more curious about what the baby's showing them, telling them, offering to them. And so in general, I always say to people like a baby crying doesn't doesn't necessarily equate hunger. You know, there's all these different needs that a baby's communicating to us. And so in those early weeks, maybe it feels the safest for parents to feed the baby. And that makes perfect sense because obviously we're parents and our job is to keep our babies alive. So <laughs> offering food is important initially. But as parents go along and have more time and space and get to know their babies more, they're getting to know what is the baby telling them? Is the baby actually hungry? Is there another need, like you said, that that they're sharing or that they're asking to be met? Yes, I really hear you, Carlisa. When you share information about aware parenting with parents who are perhaps struggling with breastfeeding and, and perhaps are maybe considering offering formula or solids into offering this as another thing that they can be perhaps holding in mind that might be going on as well as hunger. Are there things that you generally see in terms of what can shift for families once they have this information? Absolutely. And as I was saying before we started recording, in my experience working with families who have already started to experiment with communicating with their babies in the womb or throughout the birth experience or who are quite in tune with their body and their babies and maybe their own relationship with eating and things like that, it can really impact those early weeks and early months around feeding their baby because they've already started to develop that trust that their baby knows when they want to eat and how they want to eat and that there may be other things that they're sharing that aren't necessarily related to food. So I've found that a lot of the families that I've worked with, particularly when birth has been physiological and it's unfolded in a very straightforward way, Breastfeeding has also continued with that kind of flow. So breastfeeding hasn't presented what the common challenges that a lot of people do experience. And I I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. But some of the more obvious ones are around not having medications during labour and birth, not being separated from their baby, having those uninterrupted hours following the birth where the baby's on the skin there's no kind of like rush or urgency to get procedures done. So obviously in the hospital system, the 
people are wanting to do injections or weigh the baby or get things moving to the postnatal ward or things like that. So for a lot of the births that I've attended that are at home or in a birth centre, there's a slowness that happens and that's just so supportive of the initiation of breastfeeding and such a beautiful beginning for the breastfeeding journey where the parents really get to meet the baby and there's no there's no rush to do anything or go anywhere apart from tuck up in bed and so i think that can be such a incredible beginning for the breastfeeding journey when there's that slowness and there's that presence and there's that real curiosity and communication with the baby as people get to know their baby and notice what they do when they are hungry. How do they move their hands or their head or their mouth or what sounds do they make? And for many other parents, they're also learning about these communications from their baby. And for some people, it's more natural and it can happen quite soon. And for other people, it happens over many weeks or months or longer. So I think it's always really interesting just to be observing your baby. And I think that's what I've found to be the most powerful and helpful thing when it comes to marrying like all my training around breastfeeding and aware parenting together is really just coming back to like observing the baby and connecting with the baby and noticing what the baby's trying to tell you. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, Carly. As you probably know, that's one of my favorite things as well to come back to in aware parenting to really know that as the parents, because we're there, because we're the one that's observing, we are the expert. Mm-hmm. And really through through observing and experimenting and listening into ourselves and going back, observing our baby, experimenting. It's really that is that experimental process where we really get to understand, oh, look, they were doing this kind of thing, like you say, with their hand or their mouth, and mm-hmm. I fed them and then, oh, they latched on and they sucked consistently and they had a full feed and they were calm and relaxed. Oh, yes, but oh, when they did this kind of thing and I fed them, they were coming on and off and they were sucking intermittently mm-hmm. or they fell asleep and really just making those observations I used to have little journals. I don't know what you did where I'd write down and really just my research self write down all these things so that I could really start seeing the patterns and making those links to really uh, understand or aim to understand what was going on. So I think really uh, understanding that could be really helpful that we have such an active role, don't we, in in that observation and that noticing the patterns and making sense of uh, unique babies and and what they're communicating. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the word you said was expert. And I feel like that's so important for parents to own is that they know their baby better than anybody. You'll always know your baby better than anybody. And particularly in the early weeks and months of breastfeeding, it can be very confusing. And, you know, many parents will be saying like, a midwife or a lactation consultant or a maternal child and health nurse or a pediatrician or a GP. And there's so much information out there that can be very overwhelming and very confusing and often conflicting. 
And so they might go to someone who says, oh, you have to wake your baby to feed throughout the night or you have to make sure you feed both breasts every time or all this, all these different ideas. And for a lot of parents, particularly with the first baby, it can be so overwhelming to just return to that trust in yourself and in your, you know, in your own understanding of your baby and what you know of your baby as well as trusting your baby and I think that's such a big leap of faith for people for example like oh my baby's been asleep for five hours and all of the books and information say that a newborn should feed three hourly but knowing that like your baby will wake up if they're hungry (laughs) they won't keep sleeping and trusting that so Again, it can be really difficult because obviously nobody wants their baby to not be getting enough food. And so it's all well-intentioned. It's all driven by a place of love and care for your baby and often added there's a lot of extra noise around which can make it challenging. But I always encourage people to just really, like we said, observe the baby and trust trust your baby, learn learn your baby's signs and signals and communication and trust yourself, which, again, not easy. <laughs> it's really big. It's so big, isn't it? I've just sent my next book off to the typesetter this morning and I really came through the writing process to, to really focus. The, the topic that was kind of running through the whole book is really about trust and about really how aware parenting is really based on trusting human nature and our innate biological and psychological wisdom and I love how Aletha talks it too in the aware baby like really one of the first paragraphs she has is that we can really trust babies that they are innately wise and so in the book I talk a lot about how so much of what I think we're doing as parents what I love supporting parents with is actually the deconditioning process, the unlearning process, all the ways that we were not trusted in terms of food, but also in terms of attachment and individuation, in terms of learning, in terms of our innate capacity to heal from stress and trauma, all of these things, we weren't trusted. So we then internalize that and often don't trust ourselves in many of these areas. And to me, there's nothing like having a baby and Mm. grows up as well, all through the stages to, to, relearn how to trust human nature our innate biological psychological wisdom and in that process to relearn how to trust ourselves in the ways that we weren't trusted it's so exquisitely beautiful and in that journey of that ongoing observing listening in and I think also taking in the information of aware parenting if it resonates so that we've got that in our minds so we can be like oh okay does that I'm observing my baby doing this oh that yeah okay so that fits with this that I've read does that resonate with me yes so I like to have this triangle of of research that we can keep coming back to it's Mm. always based on yeah that that we're the only ones that's there with our baby doing this day in day out this research so we become expert when we're really doing it in that way Mm, definitely and I think that's so important to remember when you have a health professional telling you to do something that doesn't feel right because often I work with so many families and they said oh you know the the midwife or the doctor or the lactation consultant or the nurse said this 
and it just doesn't feel like the right thing for my baby or my sister or my mother or my friend or someone at the mother's group or and I just don't feel like I don't feel like that's the right thing and it's so important to trust that and trust your intuition and I 100% believe that your intuition is your greatest asset as a parent and that deep trust in your baby and your parenting choices is such a gift. So I feel like, like what you said, it's really important to kind of see what feels right, see what resonates. And obviously there's so many different approaches and so much information and things are shifting so quickly. And for many people, it can feel really hard to keep up. But just returning to your body and saying, how's my body feeling with this? Like, is that a yes or is that a no? (laughs) Yeah. So I think particularly with feeding, because often in the early days, a lot of people are getting told to do certain things that they're like, oh, I got told to give the baby formula. I didn't really want to. I didn't really think the baby needed it, and but I did it. And then it's kind of like having to come back from all of that or having to back at the very beginning of your feeding journey rather than being able to say, actually, I'm going to wait another 24 hours and see what happens with feeding. And then maybe I'll consider this as an option. Yeah, this really continues on our last conversation, doesn't it? About really that sense of power in birth and actually really trusting ourselves and all the ways, again, that we got, most of us got conditioned out of trusting ourselves. And it's something that I say all the time in both of my books as well, is like, including aware parenting. Like I always say to people, whatever I share is the most important thing, first of all, is does this resonate with you? And to not ever do anything aware parenting or anything if it doesn't. And my marrying method works all about really listening to those yeses and no's. So I'm just, I love, we're just so aligned on, this is one of the most important things whenever for any parent is, does this information resonate with me? If it does, great, then take it in as much as you want to and then observe based on that information and then keep going, keep going with those three points, self-listening, information, observation. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like that's, that's tied into women stopping breastfeeding before they're ready to or before they want to because perhaps there was a lack of information or a lack of support or information that was outdated or they were being told that if they give their baby solids at four months then their baby will sleep longer or if they fill their baby up on formula they'll get a better sleep or things like that even when that may not feel right for them or there might be a well-meaning family member saying this is what worked for me why don't you do this or you know I work with many many breastfeeding mothers who are like everyone keeps telling them like why you know why are you making it so hard for yourself like why are you feeding your baby all night long like why are you doing all this and it can wear them down after some time where they're constantly getting this kind of like questioning of the decisions that they're making and obviously if you want a night wean or if you want to stop breastfeeding that's absolutely fine and that's absolutely your choice but if you're being pressured by other people who are questioning a decision that feels right for you then it can be really exhausting to continually say actually this is what I'm choosing this is what's right for me and my baby 
but I really encourage you to stay in your power and maintain that and do what feels right for you because when we come back to breastfeeding you know it has such incredible long-term benefits for mother for child for family for community for society for the planet it's such a gift that you're giving to your baby and on that I would love to say that it doesn't matter how much or how long because for many people they might stop feeding when they actually wanted to continue giving some breast milk but it felt too complicated or too challenging so they decided to wane completely. So if you want to continue giving your baby some breast milk then that is hugely beneficial for them and for you and for the world. So I feel like it doesn't always have to be an all or nothing and often that it is presented like that or it feels like that for many people. They get to a place in their feeding journey where it's like they need to make a choice and that would mean completely stopping feeding. And all of the research that we have shows that any amount of continued breastfeeding is giving beautiful benefits to baby and to mother and I wanted to share a couple of things that I find really interesting that particularly around immunity for babies because I've worked with lots of families that have done all sorts of things where they've pumped breast milk when their children are much older and given that to them if they've been like going to a new place or going to a new school or to a new daycare or things like that so we know that the body has this incredible ability to identify viruses and bacterias in the environment around the mother and baby. And then the breastfeeding mother creates antibodies to protect the baby or the child, which is just incredible. I absolutely love this. And it only takes 20 minutes. So 20 minutes after being exposed to any certain pathogen, your body starts to create antibodies and so for some people if their children are going to childcare or daycare or even to kindergarten or something like that they'll actually go and sit in the childcare center and feed their baby in the center because they're being exposed to all those different viruses or bacterias in the childcare environment and their body will start to produce antibodies to protect their baby which I think is amazing (laughs) our bodies are so incredible and when I talked about the amount of milk there's research that shows just one teaspoon of breast milk can hold three million germ killing cells so you don't need to be breastfeeding all throughout the day and night in order for your baby to benefit from these incredible immune protecting factors of breast milk like they can literally have like small amounts so I think that's always something to be mindful of, like when you're making choices around ending the feeding journey, because even a little bit is going to be really helpful. Oh, I imagine that's so reassuring to hear so many mothers right now. You talked about geeky, but have you, have you got more, more magic to share? Yes. <laughs> I was saying to Marion before we started that I was geeking out on all the magic of breast milk. Another wonderful thing around immune protecting factors for baby is how 
important and wonderful it is to kiss your baby. So the more that you're kissing your baby's head or body, then you're actually ingesting some of the pathogens on the baby's skin. And then again, creating antibodies to protect against any illness and boost your baby's immune system, which I just think that's so wonderful. Not that many people need more encouragement to be kissing their baby, but there's actually science that supports you to do it and do more of it. Kiss your oh, baby. Isn't that so wonderful? Isn't there something as well about sniffing them? I just remember like my baby's just, just like the smell, just yep. adoring the smell. I mean, you could probably tell us for three hours all the kind of magical things that happen in terms of this incredible synchrony between mother and baby. But yeah, please keep going with the, the geeky, not geeky things. <laughs> um, something that I often talk about when I'm doing like breastfeeding preparation, which I feel like everyone, everyone needs access to that. And it can be such a incredible thing to do in pregnancy is to do a breastfeeding preparation course or anything that's available to you, because obviously information is power and it can really help to alleviate some of those common worries or stresses that happen in those early days where people are like, oh, is my baby sleeping too much? Have I got milk? And that's something that we hear a lot is, do I have milk in the early days? And basically every person has milk when their baby's born, unless you have a condition that we spoke about earlier where your your body isn't producing breast milk. But the majority of people, when their baby's born, they have enough milk for their baby. It's very common that people worry that there isn't enough milk in those early days where it's colostrum and your body's been producing colostrum since the end of the first trimester. So your body is this wonderful, intelligent thing that has already created all the milk that your baby needs for those first few days. So just to be really clear, if when your baby's born, you've got milk, you have enough milk for your baby there's nothing that you need to do. You don't need to pump or do anything to try and bring the milk in. Like it's a hormonal process and you already have colostrum and that's all that your baby needs in those first few days. And their tummy's only, I think it's five mils that it can hold. So it's less than a teaspoon in that first 24 hours. So it's literally only drops of colostrum that, that your baby requires. I love that little fact about the the little teaspoon. One of the things I find really helpful in aware parenting is really understanding that babies' stomachs get bigger as they get older. Mm -hmm. And I think often that's really helpful information for parents who are practicing aware parenting who are also wanting to discern between hunger and healing feelings to know that generally that will mean if we want to support the baby to go longer between feeds that that is possible to happen is is there anything that you want to say about that in terms of stomachs getting bigger have you got any you got any geeky facts about that (laughs) yeah so in the first way is a huge shift which obviously correlates with milk coming in and so the baby's stomach in those first few days is just enough to hold the amount of colostrum that someone's producing. And then usually around day three or four, 
milk comes in. So the volume increases quite dramatically. So if we're talking about mills <laughs> or I, I have a diagram of fruit. So day one is a cherry. So that's around five mils. And I think some people will say a thimble. And then the second day it's moving to the size of a walnut. So a walnut in its shell. And that's around 20, you know, usually around 20 to 25 mils. So quite a big shift just in those first few days. And then by the end of the first week, it's around the size of an apricot. So around 60 mils. So it's a big, 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 big shift in that first week. And then by the end of a month, it's about the size of a large egg. So depending on what kind of chickens you have, I guess. So that's can be anywhere from like 80 to 150 meals. I love that. So easy to remember, isn't it, with the fruit metaphors? Yeah. Mm, any other magical, wondrous <laughs> info? I just love the wonders of, <laughs> of our bodies. It's so amazing. I mean, particularly the, the mother-infant diet is just yeah the absolute magic wonder of it and you know we see it of course if you see animals as well it's wondrous isn't it of course yeah. it's so necessary for survival that this is such a intricately balanced process yeah I think that's something that we have to keep remembering is that nature's been researching and refining breast milk for hundreds of millions of years and so Obviously, formula companies are doing a very good job of mimicking the nutritional components of breast milk, and they have they have done a good job. They've it's successful. You know, babies grow well on formula milk. However, it's not a it's not a living tissue. <laughs> it's not alive. Breast milk is alive. It's just like blood, and it changes its composition throughout every feed you know, changes the composition all day, all night, over the months and years that you breastfeed your baby. And I don't believe it's possible to imitate that. So I think that we have to remember like, wow, this is something that has been happening for hundreds of millions of years and the body is just absolutely incredible. Look what it can do. Yeah, so wondrous, isn't it? And I think ways to really support us, as a culture too, and we talked a lot about culture last time, we're both passionate about that, but to as a culture support pregnant women and new mothers to really understand the magic and the wonder in a way that is, of course, we're both passionate about without any shame or judgment or coercion or any of those things, but actually seeing like, oh, this is wondrous and your body is meant to do this. And yes, if there are things getting in the way, what can we do to support that beautiful synchrony? And actually, even though the birds are really noisy right now, they can you actually hear me? They're super noisy. Yeah. yeah. So many babies. Babies is my life. Anyway, I'd love to share my journey, and I'm sure I've shared it elsewhere on the podcast with my son because I really like to share the story. So he was born when my daughter was four and a half, and it was a very quick posterior birth because I used what's called the lifting technique by Janie McCoy King. And so although his posterior is very quick, and when he was born very quickly he latched on and it was really 
when I say excruciating, it was very, very painful. And I'm so grateful. And I often say this, that it wasn't my first baby because I knew with my daughter that that was not my experience of feeding her. So straight away, I knew, oh my gosh, there's something going on for him here in terms of his jaw that he is clenching on so tight that it's painful like this. And so what I'm so grateful that I had that information was then that over the next 24 hours that I listened to his feelings about three times, I'm pretty sure it was three times. So I'd feed him and then I also would listen to his feelings. So I'd hold him in my arms and he cried in my arms. And so again, there's no way I could have done this as a first time mother if I wasn't an aware parenting instructor and if I didn't know all that I knew. But after every cry, then the next time I would feed him, it was much less tense. So it was more comfortable for me. And after three really nice big cries where he released so much tension from that really quick posterior birth he would latch on and it was completely comfortable and we went on to have a really beautiful breastfeeding relationship and I mean I often think so often probably one of those reasons that you were talking about in terms of women stopping feeding sooner than they would actually want to is because of challenges actually with latching on and all of those kinds of things and I'm often curious about even though it's not my area of expertise but just from my personal experience how often that might be from tension in the jaw and the skull because of what happened in utero during birth and just to really offer that information and so if anyone listening is experiencing something like that getting support from you Carly you know getting support from someone who's an aware parenting instructor who's also an expert in breastfeeding to really understand that if there is that tension there that we can support babies to release that and there are also physiological things that can be done to support babies as well as crying in arms to actually help them release that tension so that they have a much more relaxed jaw and, and skull which can affect everything in terms of also how relaxed they are and how they're able to sleep and, and all the other things too so I just love sharing that story in case it ever helps uh, somebody go oh well maybe I can continue breastfeeding for longer maybe I can help my baby release this tension maybe we can have a more comfortable breastfeeding relationship yeah that's such an amazing story and I guess there's always things that we can do to help on a physical level for the baby to release tension like we can do facial massage and craniosacral and different forms of body work and things like that but there often is so much tension that's being held in the body that it's going to be released through emotions and crying and holding space for feelings and I feel like that can be a really amazing way to support breastfeeding particularly in those early weeks and months when there are times when people are like I'm just not sure what to do and that seems to happen a lot and often it'll be at the breast and so I often work with families and the breastfeeding mother will be saying, oh, I just can't figure out what, you know, they're just on and off, they're pulling on and off or they look like they want to eat and then they don't and then they're all very distracted of this kind of behaviour at the breast that's really confusing. And it's interesting to see how that can shift when there's been an opportunity for the baby to release feelings And often that can happen with the other parent or caregiver I've found. Not always, but it can be a really helpful place to start, particularly if while the mother's holding the baby and the baby's doing that 
on-off behavior and they're feeling very overwhelmed with with that. So often what I hear is people saying that their baby seems hungry but they don't want to feed. And I guess that is a very <laughs> clear <laughs> example of those times when there's something else going on for the baby. There's something else going on and they're trying to tell us something and what is it? Yeah, again, it's that really trusting babies, isn't it? And, of course, there can be some uh, physiological things going on for some babies, of course. So it's always back to that mother listening to their intuition if they sense that something else is going on and it's not just healing feelings to, of course, listen to that and, and to reach out for expert support. But often it is really about just seeing, oh, what might be the baby's wisdom here if I just hold them or pass them over to the other parent and, and to actually see what they might be wanting to to do right now and often it can be just to you know to express all the the bigness of coming into the world which again we talked so much about in one of the podcasts we did together just like really you know listening to them and observing them and that they're always communicating to us and often it isn't hunger I think again in this culture it's often seen isn't it that they're either hungry they're either feeding them or they're sleeping especially in those early months but they're so incredibly communicative they're telling us everything about what's going on for them if we know what to look for yeah absolutely it's so interesting that we think all a baby does is feed and sleep This is just a very little part. Obviously, they newborn babies do sleep a huge amount of the day, but they're going through the most intensive period of rapid brain development and social emotional development. And you know, there is so much going on, right? They're integrating their arrival in the world, they're learning about everything that's happening around them. So it makes perfect sense that there's some feelings being stirred up and that they need an opportunity to let those feelings out yeah absolutely so interesting to me this whole podcast it's been really quiet and these birds these babies are just like singing the top of their voices they're like they're, I think they're happy that we're speaking on behalf of the babies and the mothers yeah. <laughs> like yes we're very wise <laughs> Hmm, is there anything else that you wanted to share in terms of all of this magic breastfeeding, feelings, trust? Hmm. I think something that we mentioned earlier was around how being curious about what your baby might be trying to communicate or that there might be a need to express feelings can be very supportive of the feeding journey and potentially shift your choices. Like I said, I often see people introducing formula or introducing solids early because they're believing that it will give their baby a long, longer stretches of sleep or it's going to make things easier for them in certain ways, which is not always the case and what I see a lot is people introducing solids solids it is a funny word I we also say table foods which but it depends. it's also funny as well I know because... but it, if you eat at a table you know like not everyone eats at a exactly table. yeah so I think you need say... to create a new word that isn't yeah. solids and isn't table food yeah I'll say solids because that's what's most widely used 
So often people are introducing solids earlier than recommended. So for those people that aren't sure, it's not recommended to introduce anything before six months of age. And for many babies, they might not really start eating solids until they're eight, nine, ten months of age, and that's perfectly fine and perfectly normal. There's lots of things that have to happen developmentally in order for them to want to eat food. So so much about that trusting process, isn't it? And yeah. When we're baby, Aletha really talks about, again, observing a baby. If we're eating food and they're starting to be interested and they're wanting to reach for it, I mean, those kinds of, again, watching their signals and trusting their readiness rather than thinking that we're the ones that get to choose that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's why I'm a big fan of baby-led weaning because it's a very much child-led approach to eating. And I'm also a big fan of children choosing like what they eat and how they eat it and how much they eat because I've worked with many families where children are developing a relationship with food that is is far from healthy and far from positive because they're kind of feeling a lot of pressure or stress around the eating experience. And so whenever I talk to families about introducing solids the goal is that it's building a positive relationship with food or a healthy relationship with food and there's absolutely no need for the baby to actually eat anything (laughs) you know that comes secondary because we know that breast milk or if the baby's having formula like that's the primary source of nutrition until the child's 12 months old so really it's about building a relationship with food and exploring texture and colour and developing those um, fine motor skills of picking food up and playing and enjoying and sitting with your family and eating together and it being a pleasurable experience. So I, I just love all of that, Carly, and that's what I really wanted to have. The focus of this whole series is really that so much about what we can do with aware parenting is really support our babies and children to stay connected with that innate wisdom and baby led weaning being such a beautiful way to support that that they get the that sensory input they're getting again all the extra information that's coming in now there's so much isn't there in terms of what we know about the gut biome and so on that actually holding food is a really different thing from actually experiencing just being fed on a spoon there's a whole lot of extra magical stuff that happens as always the more we go back to actually how we probably would have eaten a very long time ago. There's often so many things that are really important about that, not just the kind of extracted part of the food going into the body. There's all Mm. the other things around that that I think it's so important that we reclaim as much of that as we can. So just love what you said there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think kids eating with their hands is wonderful. Having, like you said, that sensory input or like being able to like mush it together or, you know, mix it around or drop it on the floor or do whatever they need to do because it's enjoying that eating experience. Yeah, there's so much more happening than just that nutritional element, isn't there, to really understand so much about things. And also, I think that's at this point where I'd love to offer lots of compassion. If you have got a baby 
who's in that process and it can be a lot as well can't it particularly where they're needing to clear up or we're making stuff and they don't want to eat it just so much love and compassion and again I think it's where so often as parents we need lots of listening time to any and all feelings that we might have because most of us had a very different and I'm going to say sterile kind of experience as babies moving into solids and this can be really new for most of us most of us didn't get to to experience food in this way so it's a massive journey for us and we often need to do a lot of inner work and receive a lot of listening to our feelings to be able to to do these kinds of things and then squishing everything and mixing up and playing with it and I remember so often my son doing that and making kind of patterns and mixing things and it's like art as well as yeah yeah definitely and I think definitely lots of parents need listening time around mess and wasting food that's something that seems to come up a lot for people is yeah the the feelings that come up around food wastage and then I'm putting all this effort in to make this food and it's not being eaten and I think just really remembering that you're supporting this beautiful relationship with food and that's what's most important yeah, that's so helpful, isn't it, Carly, to really, I um, haven't really kind of connected with that before, that if parents have feelings coming up around, oh, I spent all this time making this X, Y, and Z, and they didn't like mm-hmm. it, to, to focus on, oh, but I did give them the experience of uh, trying that out, and they got to listen into their bodies, and they actually had a no for that today, and that is just as important as mm-hmm. they ate it all. <laughs> yeah, that's how I've managed. I love that. <laughs> Over the last <laughs> five and a half years yeah I I wanted to go back to when we started talking about early introduction of solids and potentially introducing formula or different ways of feeding the baby when without any kind of aware parenting understanding and how often the reasons around that are the things that we spoke about earlier so like frequent night waking and people feeling that introducing solids or formula would give a more restful sleep for their babies and I guess that was something I wanted to ask you was around what you would have to say about that for people who are getting to that point where they're making different feeding choices and with the way of parenting we're looking at it in a very different way that it isn't centered around food that a lot of these things are more linked into what's going on for the baby or the child and what people could do to experiment with that. Mm, I love that question. And yes, really understanding that so much of how our babies are experiencing life and how they're showing up in terms of when they're feeding and how they're sleeping and how they're interacting, how just they are in their body to always come back to those two basic things that we're looking at for babies is, is this a needs feeling or is this a healing feeling? And to come back to that question. And so often in our culture still we are taught which wonderful you know to look at needs fantastic that's way preferable to how it was in the 50s where we didn't even think babies had needs this is so great but as you said that kind of next evolutionary step to actually always be questioning actually is this healing feelings and so often what I love to see is yeah when we actually get to listen to a baby's feelings that so often the sleep challenges that happen are because they're feeling tense in their bodies and again their beautiful innate wisdom that so often they are trying to cry in arms before they go to sleep in the evening and so often that's where 
if we don't have this information or we're still learning about it where the baby might be coming on and off and on and off and on and off or they might be seeming to just need to feed for five hours straight all evening to actually be looking going back to what we were talking about that beautiful triangle of does this information resonate that actually this may not be a need this may not be hunger they may not need anything else in terms of more feed breast milk or more any other kind of food this actually might be healing feelings that they are trying to express and this is why they're coming on off the breast so I'm really agitated and antsy or going on the breast and sucking twice and falling asleep or seeming to need to feed for five hours because every time you take them off the breast they start crying again it's coming back to that innate wisdom that they know how to feel relaxed enough to sleep and so often they're trying to they're trying to cry in their loving arms they're trying to say hey mum dad granny granddad auntie uncle this is really big being a baby it's massive oh my god this is so there's so many things going on and it was all muted and it was all cozy and gosh it was really yummy and you know, it's great being out here but this is really big and I've just got a lot of feelings to tell you and mm. hey that birth didn't quite go to plan did it I've got a lot to tell you about that and you know my sibling is very loud and oh, what's that noise over there and okay. I really want to tell you about that every, every evening pretty much for a long time yeah so we come back to they're innately wise I like to come back to our culture likes to tell us all the time babies and children are faulty they're immature can't trust them there's usually something wrong with them that we need to fix and I like to say that's cultural conditioning and actually babies and children are innately wise they they know how to do all of these things and so often it's about us learning to really observe them to really understand what they need and to support them with that and so much of that is our own journey lots of listening lots of changing our core beliefs about babies so that they can sleep without needing any extra food they just need Mm -hmm. to let some feelings out so that they can feel more relaxed so that they can sleep peacefully because their bodies are nice and melty (laughs) yeah I love that and I feel like that's so true that there's often this idea like there's something wrong with my baby and particularly in those early months around feeding and then there's often a big discussion around gas colic digestion issues whatever you want to call it which I always find really interesting because often people go down certain pathways and don't actually notice any changes or things like that. But yeah, there's often more of a, the lens is more around something's wrong with my baby than like, oh, I need to like stop and observe and listen in and like, what's going on with my baby? And all of those things like you said, I've just arrived in this big world and there's lots, I've got lots of feelings and I've got lots of things to share so yeah I think again we're very similar on this kind of mission to really and there's another layer of cultural conditioning around rather than looking at what's wrong it's like what how may I not be able to quite see what my baby is communicating how might they be nothing wrong with them they're incredibly wise I'm just not quite understanding what what they're communicating to me and often it is about expressing feelings yeah and I think for parents that's such an important thing is to having space for yourself and having space for your own feelings and having someone listen to your own feelings because 
it can be really difficult to tune into your baby if you're in a state of overwhelm and everything's feeling like it's on top of you. And maybe it does seem like there's all of these things that are going on with your baby from a feeding perspective or a sleep perspective or, and when you actually stop and you're able to kind of like feel more calm and in tune with your baby, things seem more clear and more obvious. And I think that's something we often forget about is how closely entwined our emotional states are and I see that so much with feeding when somebody's able to just like stop and take a few deep breaths and then you know have a have a chat with their baby and talk to their baby and let them know what what they would you know how are you feeling and I would like to offer you a feed right now is that what you want and then go from there it's such a different way of approaching things when everything feels too much and it's like quick get the baby the baby needs to eat before because the whole world's going to fall down if it doesn't and so yeah I always encourage people to do their best to take time for themselves and even just even just setting yourself up before you feed and having a few deep breaths and a glass of water and talking to your baby makes such a difference (laughs) oh it does doesn't it and I think it's one of the central things in aware parenting if you think about what most of us would have experienced around fooding 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 and feeding (laughs) is that because of our innate wisdom that we're trying to heal and the way we get to heal is by observing something in the present where we need to heal from something that happened in the past and so often many of us would have been fed on schedule so we would have been hungry and not fed or we would have been left alone or you know all kinds of things would have happened and of course when is that most likely to show up for us when we're feeding our baby or when something's going on for a baby or when our baby's crying and we're trying to feed them and they're not they're coming on and off the breast or all of the things that we might be then telling ourselves about that so often so much of that is actually about what's yeah. up for us from the past yeah. it's like so central isn't it to you know yeah. go on about multiple listening partners where yeah. instructor supports to actually have someone who can listen to these feelings because the more calm we are like you said actually I want to add one other thing I've really noticing a lot recently with people who have perhaps a lot of fear my baby's hungry my baby's hungry I need to feed them is actually trauma in the lineage and I think maybe we talked about this last time around you know starvation and famine in the family line that will also show up so there are all these kinds of things in us also that are trying to come out they're trying to be healed yeah. so it's not just about oh again we kind of go oh there's baby over there and this baby over there needs to cry and has lots of feelings and lots of needs mm-hmm. we over here right yes us, we have lots of needs and we have lots of feelings and that's really normal as a mother and a father or whether it's two mothers or whatever the combination is mm-hmm. when we have babies that we are also trying to heal from our own infancy so I, I don't think we could emphasize enough could we like whatever you can do to get as much emotional support as you can mm-hmm. often that is listening partnerships or empathy buddies where you because it's free you just swap and you yeah. get that listening it's it's so vital 
because yeah. the more we're not also sitting with feeding a baby but also remembering how it was for us to be left alone crying when we were hungry for example mm. we're going to be present and calm and they're going to feel that and that's going to be more enjoyable for them they're going to be able to digest the milk better mm. yeah, all the things yeah absolutely i always ask people when when we're doing breastfeeding preparation like how were you fed as a baby so how are you fed how is you know sisters friends around you how are they feeding their babies what's your relationship like with your mother and a lot of people are like oh (laughs) how is that relevant and it's almost like you'll see you'll understand when your baby's here and when you start feeding your baby like there's lots of things that will come up and there's many different schools of thought on that but a lot of people talk about like breasts and the chest being this place of nurture and how often our own like you know motherland is very directly related to our feeding experience with our babies and so people are often surprised by the things that emerge when it comes to feeding and one of the most like beautiful but challenging experiences that I supported a woman to feed her baby with was someone her mother had died many years ago and there was lots of trauma and grief and loss around that and it was one of the most difficult breastfeeding experiences that I had supported somebody with and she continued and she did it she was incredibly committed and very powerful and very willing to do all the work but it was so hard and I found it hard you know watching her go through all of this but I think that's something like you said there's so many different layers and so many different pieces to it so really making sure we're taking care of ourselves and giving ourselves time and space to talk and feel and heal and yeah and explore what's there absolutely oh I feel really touched hearing that story thank you thank you for all that you do to support mothers and babies I so appreciate that and you know I was thinking as you were sharing that is in parenting in general, I think it's so helpful to hold in mind that the two pieces that often make parenting hard for us, one is our cultural conditioning and the other is our own experiences in our own infancy and childhood. And I think it can be really important whenever there's a challenge, look away for a moment from our baby or our child and to attend to both of those in ourselves and then and then come back to, okay, so what's going on for my baby? Because then we can see much more clearly and much less through the lens of our own conditioning and our own mm. hurt and trauma to, get to actually then see our baby clearly what, yeah. what's actually going on for them yeah and making choices that are ours and for us and for our babies because I know for me personally with my first baby I did things because I was very very idealistic and you know I backpacked around Sri Lanka with a backpack full of wet cloth nappies whereas now I'm pregnant I'm 35 weeks pregnant with my third baby I would take some disposables <laughs> you know like we we create the walls of our own prison as well which obviously is much deeper than that and has you know many years of lifetime experience and things like that but we do get to choose like is this the right thing for me is this the right thing for my baby 
I'm also laughing when you share that because I remember Lana going to England on a plane and, and having like one suitcase almost full of like wet, wet and pooey nappies. And then with yeah. Sunny, Sunny, I did EC elimination communication, including on the plane as well. So yeah. I'm kind of laughing going, yes, I totally understand. But there's that, I remember seeing a, a comic strip of baby number one. Mm-hmm. We do all organic and all everything. And by the time it's number three or number five, it's like, oh, you know, they'll be fine. <laughs> yeah we yeah get, we get more relaxed don't we yeah but I think that's one of the things that I love about aware parenting so much is like it's not rigid and that's what I keep kind of it's been a theme for me in these last few years just seeing like how rigidity exists in so many different approaches and it makes it very difficult for people to like have their own flavor or do it their own way. And I think like, I remember very early on having a conversation with you around my ideas around lactation and then aware parenting. And I was like, how does this fit? How does this work? And your beautiful reminder was just around, like, it's always, it's always comes back to observing the baby. And I was like, Oh, Yes, that makes so much sense to me because in the lactation world, it is very much like feed the baby, feed the baby. If in doubt, feed the baby, feed the baby, which is obviously rooted in like protecting milk supply and being baby led and obviously has very important foundations. However, I feel like there is more conversation now, like as babies get older, there's definitely like, babies feed for multiple reasons I mean that exists from a newborn people are like oh baby feeds for comfort or for reassurance if they're unwell or things like that it's not necessarily hunger related but it definitely seems like there's more of a shift once babies are a bit older and particularly when parents are like oh they're not hungry so they have this awareness that the baby's feeding maybe from six months and beyond it's more easy for people to say like oh they're not hungry but they they keep wanting to feed and then there's more people wondering about okay what does this mean or what does that look like or is there something else going on so I feel like there's more space from that age yeah beautiful and of course it's it's so natural isn't it with with a small baby and just that the need for survival like, of course that's going to always be our top priority is like make sure they're not hungry first of all yeah but it's interesting isn't it how as they get older and older that we get more relaxed about that more reassurance about that Mm. one of us a point there was one other thing I wanted to share I wonder if this might fit here which is talking about how I often find aware parenting supports the breastfeeding relationship to be even more enjoyable for mothers and babies and often for people to continue for longer and that's often around often have people coming maybe around one or one and a half and perhaps they're starting to feel resentful and maybe their toddlers just seeming to feed all the time and doesn't seem connected and they might often say it's like I'm a human dummy and there's not this sense of presence in the relationship and maybe often then the toddler is wake up more and more frequently at night and often every hour or even more often at night and I often see this point where mothers they're feeling resentful they're exhausted and that's where they give up breastfeeding because they think that's the only option Mm. and and I've had many experiences with mothers then to to actually support them with aware parenting to say "Mm, 
it, it's probable that actually what's happening is sometimes they're feeling when they've got feelings to express and supporting them to express more of those feelings. And actually what then happens again is then the toddler, when they are feeding, they are present again rather than dissociated. And they have less tension in their bodies because they're getting to express it. So they, they do then sleep longer at night again. And actually then there's there's more connection. So the, the mum's feeling less resentful, less burnt out, less exhausted. She's getting more sleep. She's actually enjoying the feeding again. And often that means that then can, mm. can continue the breastfeeding. And I've you know, had quite a lot of people then continue for years after that point. And so I just, again, really want to acknowledge that for me, having this extra piece of information from an aware parenting perspective, really at every stage, you know, right from in utero, right from pregnancy, but, you know, my experience right from birth, what we can do to support babies all the way through to continuing that breastfeeding relationship and it being enjoyable for, for both and mm. present and really yummy, yummy experience, then I'm going to use the word yummy. <laughs> um, and so it can really support that. So every stage in the breastfeeding journey, I think aware parenting really has something really helpful to offer so many mothers and babies yeah I completely agree and I see a lot of women not necessarily practicing aware parenting but around the one year mark and they stop breastfeeding from that place of like exhaustion and depletion and from like you said quite resentful and it can be quite a painful ending to what was a really beautiful journey and that can be really difficult for people and ending your breastfeeding journey from that place of depletion often makes it more challenging as well. So often people have these long drawn out, takes months and months and they're really struggling with that that weaning process. And I love that aware parenting offers this different way of I feel like it gives people much more space or permission to use limits around feeding, whereas like other kind of parenting approaches is very much like you just you just say yes to feeding whenever the child wants to, whereas aware parenting is like, well, there's more going on for that child and what can we do to to help them get in touch with that? So I feel that it can really help people return to a place of enjoyment with feeding and also return to a place where they feel like they're they do they're not kind of like giving their whole body away or they're handing everything over and i think that can be confusing because a lot of the messages are like child led feeding but once you've got an older baby or a toddler it's a two-way street it's a you know you're it's a breastfeeding relationship and so if you're feeling resentful and you're kind of saying yes with your yes with your voice but no with your body then obviously that's going to create a whole lot of feelings for both mother and child as well so it's so important to be feeding from a place where it feels really good and I think aware parenting really helps people continue that continue feeding in a place that where it feels sustainable and like it's for for both both mother and child are having their needs met yeah that's so beautiful isn't it and I think in particular 
again, if if we don't have this information, so if we think that all crying indicates a needs feeling and we don't want to feel, we're resentful and we're exhausted and they've been, a toddler's been, or a one-year-old's been feeding many, many times in the day and we're just like, well, I just really don't want to do that again. But they start crying and we then assume, oh my gosh, this is a need. Of course, that's going to be really stressful. Mm -hmm. But if we understand, actually, they're probably the reason why they were wanting to feed 10 times already that afternoon is they've got some feelings showing yeah. and they and that's one of the ways they've learned to suppress their feelings so it gives again that information which is so important isn't it it's like ah this isn't harmful for my baby toddler I'm not denying a need I'm actually when I say no I, I'm listening to myself and that's so important and I'm actually also listening to my little one and actually what they need to do is let out a whole lot of big feelings that they're holding in which is why they're all antsy and agitated it's so reassuring isn't it to know that actually that is not harmful that's supportive and yeah. again if we're not sure about that and we're like oh I don't know maybe they were hungry even though they're a toddler and they've already fed five times this afternoon we can observe them if mm. we, if we do keep feeding them many many times how are they in their bodies? How is their eye contact when we're feeding them? How present are they? How are their muscles? And in contrast, if we offer that beautiful loving limit and we listen to their feelings and they have a big cry and rage, how are they afterwards with all those things? Are they actually mm -hmm. happy? Are they smiling? Are they making more eye contact? Are they more relaxed? Do they sleep more that night? So again, we can get that reassurance that, ah, okay, that wasn't a needs feeling me saying no me listening to my body is not only supportive of that deep self-relationship this is really supportive for my toddler and this actually means as you said we can ah, oh, we can continue breastfeeding for a whole lot longer because it's not done out of resentment and resentment mm -hmm. resentment <laughs> yeah definitely and the other thing that I often see is that really like urgent or incessant like grabbing at the shirt or pulling and you know or like if if mothers have been out and they come back and the child's just like really on top of them and a lot of the guidance from IBCLC is, is around distraction like a lot of the weaning information is around you know like offering them a snack offering them a drink of water getting a toy or reading a book or doing watching tv which that never resonated with me even before I had more awareness of aware parenting. And I just feel like it kind of perpetuates that, yeah, that distraction of from the feelings. And often for so many kids, particularly like like one to two and beyond, like it is such a strong control pattern and they really are intensely wanting the breast and it is such a great opportunity to be able to hold space for whatever's come up for that child while you know throughout the day or the week or so yeah yeah it's such a central part isn't it and I think again this comes back to what we were talking I loved our conversation when we were talking all about birth and about really you know it comes to the Marian method work as well about really honoring our nose particularly as women I think it's so related to our power to know again that we can say no in a really loving way and listen to those feelings and that is going to mean everybody's going to feel more connected with themselves and I just think it's such important information the other thing I do want to say is in writing this new book, I'm really grateful. Aletha did a lot of editing. And so there's a whole chapter on food. And there was a lot of things there that she was really pointing out to me. And one of them, she really wanted to 
emphasize is that in general, we don't recommend offering loving limits with food with children. And let, apart from two situations, one is with breastfeeding and the other one is if the child is becoming overweight or has, has some kind of health issue because we're really supporting trusting their relationship and trusting their own innate wisdom. And, and if they have got a control pattern around food, for example, that we support that through focusing on feelings and attachment play in other places, not around food. Mm-hmm. So the helpful thing about that is knowing that is our bodies and i think that again it's so important for women who we get conditioned to say yes when it's a no just as you said you know if we're saying yes to our toddler when it's a no what is that also communicating to them Mm. and particularly if they're a girl what's that communicating to them about listening to their bodies and they will feel that they're so they live in that emotional world they'll feel if it's a no they'll they'll really feel if we're feeling resentful when we're we're yeah. letting them feed when actually we really don't want to be. And I really think that is this journey to be able to say no and it's a no, both because we're either we're exhausted or frustrated and or because actually we see that it's feelings that they've got, not hunger, is, is so central and so important for the developing relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I often see it the other way around as well. So women want to wean but they haven't quite reached that place of clarity within themselves and so they're saying no to feeding the child but their body is saying yes and so it's really confusing for the child Um, oh wow and so I always encourage people to really be clear on what what you want because often people will be like oh this is a good opportunity because you know my partner's we're on holiday or my partner's home from work or there's you know we've got family support or something like that or they've just they're going away or I don't know there's lots of different reasons that people just kind of are opportunistic around it but they 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 aren't ready within themselves and so there's all of these feelings around it but then they're saying no to their child and the child's like hang on a minute but i can feel that you actually oh, want to be yeah um wow. so it can be really important to just really get clear and often again there can be misinformation like some the dp might have said oh if you're on this medication you can't feed or if this is happening or you know yeah if there's certain situations it can be really important just to explore that more because often a lot of that information isn't isn't always true most that most of the time people can continue breastfeeding there's very few medications that are incompatible with breastfeeding and even preparing for surgery and things like that. So it's always important to get clear on that. But I think on the emotional level, just, yeah, again, listening partners and empathy buddies and having your feelings heard around it before starting the process, it's going to be so much more supportive and so much smoother if you've reached a place of acceptance and clarity within yourself before you start the process. Oh, I love this so much. And what I really get the sense of what we're talking about, we can kind of collate it all together is the journey of breastfeeding for mothers is it really invites us to be more deeply connected with ourselves and our bodies and our yeses and our nos. Mm -hmm. And 
our innate wisdom and our own relationship with food. And it also there's the opportunity to really support babies to, to stay deeply connected with their innate wisdom. And that's going to be hard. And we live in a culture that makes all of those things much harder. But if we can hold that as like a, a possibility, that it, that's an incredible opportunity, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, absolutely. It's such an incredible opportunity to look at so many things in a different way and on a deeper level and how beautiful that your baby can offer that to you. Your baby can offer you this deep way of learning about yourself and your relationship with your body and your trust in yourself and like you said the yeses and noes it's so wonderful oh, i love our conversations carly i always feel so inspired and like yes like <laughs> so wonderful thank you for coming at 35 weeks when, when really you, you're probably just wanting to be walking on the beach right now not having an in-depth conversation with me <laughs> I want to have many more conversations with you. Thank you so much. I just feel so touched and joyful and and grateful to you for you to really bring your incredible depth and breadth of wisdom and experience for many, many years. So thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you? I mean, obviously you're 35 weeks pregnant. <laughs> you're not working at all actually now, are you? You've stopped working. Yeah. So if anyone wants to come and have sessions with you or anything at the moment, well, you're not available. <laughs> but if they want to come and find you and follow you so that when you are working again, they know where to find you, would you be willing to share where they can find what you're doing yeah. and where you are? Yeah. Thanks, Marion. I've really enjoyed our conversation, even though parts of it were challenging. <laughs> with being 35 weeks pregnant and trying to talk about important topics. So... I have a website which is seedpodfamilies.com and I normally do one-on-one sessions for breastfeeding and birth preparation and aware parenting. However, that's all on hold till sometime next year. So, yeah. So beautiful. Well, thank you so much for what you do, what you bring to the world. I do also want to say to anyone who's listening, if you would like to read more about this, I really recommend both The Aware Baby by Aletha Salter and The Emotional Life of Babies, which is my last book where we both talk a lot about these kinds of things. And as always, I'd love to finish with from both of us, if you have feelings listening to this, if you're still sitting there now with feelings please reach out for some listening or you might journal you might have a friend you can talk to or if you want to come and get a listening partner you can do that on the free facebook group but just please please listen to yourself if you've got some feelings to express please find a safe space to do that and thank you so much for listening and i want to say thanks to you carly i've got the baby birds calling out for food and the dogs and all the, all the usual noises <laughs> so thank mm-hmm. you to you thank you to the listeners for being willing to keep listening evening <laughs> to be willing to keep listening even with all that background noise i'm not 35 weeks pregnant and i cannot speak clearly <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for listening. So much love to you and see you in the next episode.